This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning, everybody. Just before Christmas, you know, I'm the Christmas girl. I love this. This is Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive. Minnesota sending Chad and my family up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, all of my love and my uh, my morning stars. We're having some technical difficulties. I'm not going to be able to get up with you this morning, but I do hope that you will stay with us on WCPT820.com and AM950radio.com. And let's have this discussion about Gaza genocide and gentrification. Did you know that there is an Israeli developer who's already put out renderings of a plan to turn Gaza into a beachfront luxury community. Pastor Ricky Johnson, you can't make that up. And then, of course, what is happening with former President Donald Trump? He's been kicked off the ballot in Colorado for the primary. What's going to happen in the fall? What's going to happen in the fall of 2024? Will he be a write-in candidate? If he's a write-in candidate, would that, will that count? What is the 14th Amendment? How does that apply here? What is insurrection? How does that apply here? How, 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 what, what, what? And what is the impact upon the electorate? I mean, that's the ultimate question. Will this make his supporters dig in their heels? Will people who are teeter-tottering, will they then decide that, you know, He's my guy or he's not my guy. Will this help Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Vivek, Ramaswamy? I mean, with this, I mean, excuse me, Ron DeSantis. I mean, you tell me, what do you think is, what will, be, what will be the impact and what will be the impact overall on our country? So call me at 773-763-9278. I want to know what you think about this latest with former President Trump. What does this mean? What does it mean to you? Um, will this help President Biden or will it have no impact upon him? Or does it make, um, does it make the Democrats case? Does it strengthen it, weaken it? What, what, what? I want to know what your thoughts are. You are the experts. You are the experts. Because guess what? For all the talk show hosts and pundits and political scientists, PhDs, no Ds, all that they say, you know who really rules America? Ultimately, it's you, if you decide that that's going to happen. Right now, the corporatocracy is having a grand old time. But on the day that you decide to take the reins, everything will change. Everything will change. So let's talk about this, everybody. Let's first talk about Donald Trump, and then let's talk about Gaza, genocide, and gentrification. Yes, they are planning to turn that into a luxury community after they finish leveling it and ethnically cleansing. Call me at 773-763-9278. Let's get to some of these headlines. Donald Trump was disqualified from Colorado's 2024 primary ballot. Why? Because he, quote, engaged in insurrection, close quote, during the January 6, 2021 attack upon the Capitol, according to the Colorado Supreme Court. Will this go to the Supreme Court? You betcha. 
It's the first time a court has disqualified a presidential candidate under the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment. Got to talk with Attorney C.K. Hoffler about it, which prevents insurrectionists from holding office. If other states make similar rulings, it will be difficult, if not impossible, for Trump to secure the Republican presidential nomination. Stay tuned, everybody. The U.N. is searching for a Gaza resolution that the U.S. won't veto. Indeed, America is seeking to weaken the ceasefire resolution that is already on the table. The U.N. Security Council is is meeting in its latest attempt to pass a resolution calling for a halt in the fighting in the Gaza Strip, which has overwhelmed hospitals, many of which have been bombed. Um, Indeed, the United Nations and the Palestinian um, Health Ministry have said that the hospital system in Gaza has collapsed. Wow. The Biden administration has vetoed several ceasefire resolutions, arguing that ending Israel's offensive in Gaza could effectively hand a victory to Hamas militants. Mm, A record-setting East Coast storm left at least five people dead. The storm brought floods and damaging winds from Florida to Maine. Praying for our brothers and sisters out east, the FDA found extremely high levels of lead in an applesauce ingredient. Everybody, please check your applesauce. 125 cases of lead poisoning in children in the U.S. is linked to contaminated cinnamon-flavored applesauce pouches. Um, Minnesota unveiled its new flag design yesterday. Hey, Minnesota, the navy part on, uh, on the left side of the flag forms an abstract shape of the state, and the right and the eight-pointed star is, is a feature in indigenous art. Ooh. If approved, the design will debut in May. So you'll have a bit of the old and the new. And um, the the current flag has been deemed offensive. It shows a white settler, a rifle leaning on a a tree stump, and an indigenous man riding away on horseback. How many of you think they need to change that? I mean, I think that when you begin to obliterate all of this history, then we won't know why we are where we are. I think that what you need to do is extend the narrative. You don't need to get rid of it. Uh Uh-uh. Because that way you can hide the history. That's just my thought. Have an explanation about what happened to that indigenous man and who, and and the politics of this white European settler. Call me at 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT in Chicago. It's going to be... uh, 39 degrees, partly cloudy, Minneapolis St. Paul, 40 degrees, partly cloudy, no games in the, in, the, in the NFL last night. Wow. In the NBA, the Lakers will be facing off against the Bulls, and the Timberwolves will be facing off against the 76ers in the NHL. Chicago 3. Hey. All right. One last night. Avalanche 2. And, um, and that is it in sports, everybody. Pastor Vicki Johnson, how are you doing? How can uh, Merry Christmas to you and your beautiful family? You have had quite the year, and boy, God is a longtime God and has been so good. You got a testimony this year. God bless you, my dear sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am well. What about you, Santita? Oh, honey, I'm uh, moving, and it's a whole lot. I know. Well, I mean, they say death, divorce, moving, most stressful events in your life, and it is all of that. And then some, but it's all right. It's all right. I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So how are you doing? 
I am well. I am well and glad to be here. All right. I love it. And your husband is well? He is well. All is well. And we are just grateful for this time for the for how things are progressing, for things getting better and just just a really good time. Well Christmas. Yes it is, yes it is, yes it is. So let me say good morning to you, Santita, and good morning to all of your morning stars and friends. There is good news. When I was growing up, I grew up in a multi-generational family with my grandmother being the head cook. She had a regimented um, schedule. She prepared our meals like a restaurant menu. We knew what we were having for dinner based on what day of the week it was. Monday, greens whether collards or mustard and turnips, with cornbread and candied yams. Tuesday, fried chicken and corn. Wednesdays, beans, green beans, red beans, pinto beans, and cornbread. Thursdays, pork chops. Friday, spaghetti and meatballs. Saturday, everyone for themselves, kitchen clothes. And Sundays, pot roast, steak, baked chicken, peas or rice, these different things we knew that we were having, and they were all so good, good for us and good to us. But the most exciting part of every meal for me growing up was the Kool-Aid. Yes, the (laughs) Kool-Aid, whether it was red Kool-Aid or purple Kool-Aid, our Kool-Aid was the best. She would make it special and sometimes put some lemons in it. It was in a pitcher where you could not see through it, so you never knew how much was left. The saddest part of the meal came when we turned the pitcher up and nothing came out. It was empty, and we did not even know it. In this season of giving of ourselves, giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures, sometimes our pictures when we turn them to pour them out, seems like nothing will come out. We must be careful in the season of giving to also pour into ourselves. Sometimes giving can be draining as we give of ourselves by working in shelters, by packing bags of groceries to give to others, by going shopping in stores, hearing the joyful music, but feeling drained ourselves. 
this is the season of giving, of pouring out into others. But as you pour into others, make sure that you are not neglecting yourself. Make sure that something or someone is pouring back into you. As you are giving to others and doing the most, please be sure to give to yourself through prayer, meditation, through exercise. You say, I don't feel like exercising. Well, through stretching, through eating better, eating fruits, vegetables, and other healthy foods. Give to yourself. Pour into yourself by taking breaks. By soaking in the beauty of nature. Give to yourself by finding something that you enjoy and taking the time to do it. And find something for yourself by pouring into yourself by laughing often, even in the midst of moving. While pouring into others, it is so important that you also pour into yourself because you cannot see visibly when your cup is empty, when your pitcher is no longer full, just like our Kool-Aid pitcher. So it is best to pour into yourself regularly you'll be better for it. If you will do this, and I believe that you will, then to me, that's good news. Amen to that. You know, I have to tell you, I do feel drained. Mm-hmm. I do. And I am, you know, and I, and I, can, I can see, you know, I've always poured out. And my voice teacher, Ben Matthews, God rest his soul, said, San Petra, <laughs> make sure you give your overflow. And I can tell you a real component of carrying 10, 20, 30, 40, eventually more than 200 extra pounds was not, was pouring my reserves out, <laughs> you know? And um, and that, for me, is I think that's something we really, really, really need to look at. You know, yes. we, just, we really, really need to look at. Another question I have for you really quickly before we go. This is a really tough time of year. I was listening to, I guess I heard the song a little differently with greater depth. Uh, Sheila Hutchinson, you know, we love Sheila and Wanda and the emotions. Um, what do the lonely do? What do the lonely do at Christmas? What do the lonely do at Christmas? What should the lonely do at Christmas, Pastor Ricky Johnson? You know, I was listening to all of those Christmas songs, and some of us view them as just another song, but they are somebody's reality. Mm-hmm. The lonely at Christmas. And if you find yourself in a position where you are feeling lonely, I know that when you are lonely, you don't really much feel like 
doing anything, but you have to force yourself to get up and get out and be among other people so that your mind does not just sit there lying dormant and entertaining thoughts that would only make you lonelier or would cause you to do something that would be hurtful or harmful to yourself or others. So being alone and being lonely are two different things. But being in the presence of other people, you just never know how God is going to put someone in your way that will help to lift you um, so that you won't have to be the lonely at Christmas. So you would encourage people to get out. Mm-hmm. My mother said, you know, you can't help someone else without helping yourself. Maybe go serve at a pantry, right? I mean, something. Well, go, um, with something Rainbow Push. go with Rainbow right? Push on Christmas Day to the jails. And it'll give you a totally different perspective on your life and what you are experiencing. And just very quickly, how did you do that? Because many people don't know that's how we did our holidays. Yes. You know, growing up, we we were in service. I mean, I have to remind people, Jonathan, Congressman Jackson reminds people, you know, Dr. King's first title, first calling was that of a minister. He wasn't just Dr. King. He was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And Jesse Jackson is Reverend Jesse Jackson. They are in ministry. So right. it's not, I mean, it's not going to where people, going to the places where people have been forgotten. We've had family reunions at the county jail just in a minute. Yes, what could people yes. get out of going to the jail? I've got one minute for you. Well, what you can get is uh, the opportunity to give. Um, Of course, you can't give anything tangibly, but you can give of your spirit. That giving of your your very presence in that place is a present to those who find themselves there. And and just in various situations like that, when we, instead of always looking for the perfect gift, Sometimes the perfect gift is us. Just being there makes a difference in the lives of people who otherwise would not have someone present. Hmm. Hey, everybody. There's something for you to do on Christmas you don't know. By blessing someone else, you're going to bless yourself. Pastor Vicki Johnson, yeah. very quickly, how can we worship with you on Christmas and on Sunday? Christmas Eve. You, you can worship with me at Lebanon Lutheran Church at 13100 South Manistee at 9 o'clock a.m. And then at St. Thomas Lutheran, 8000 South Jeffrey Boulevard at 1130 a.m. for an hour of power. We will be worshiping on Christmas Eve at both locations in the morning and in the evening at St. Thomas at 5 p.m. for Christmas Eve worship and at Lebanon at 9 p.m. for Christmas Eve worship and then on Christmas Day at St. Thomas at 10 o'clock a.m. Jesus is the reason for this season and we give it up. Amen. High Holy Day. High Holy Day, everybody. The Mass of Christ. It is a religious holiday. Don't forget that. 
back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. What about former President Trump? If other states follow Colorado, he won't be able to run for the presidency. At least he won't get on the ballot. But (laughs) he can always get written in. Let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Here's your thoughts about Trump's disqualification from Colorado's 2024 primary ballot. If this happens in enough states, he will not be on. He will not be able to get this, the, the Republican nomination let alone be the Republican candidate for president. What do you think about that? Call me, call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. According to this Washington Post report, in a historic decision yesterday, the Colorado State Supreme Court barred Donald Trump from running in the state's presidential primary after determining that he had engaged in insurrection on January 6, 2021. The 4-3 ruling marked the first time a court has kept a presidential candidate off the ballot under an 1868 provision of the Constitution that prevents insurrectionists from holding office. The The ruling comes as courts consider similar cases in other states. If other states reach the same conclusion... Trump would have a difficult, if not impossible, time securing the Republican nomination and winning in September. Will this go to the Supreme Court? As Sarah Palin would say, you betcha. We're going to see how this is all going to play out. But in CK, we're starting legal Q&A with CK just a little early because, of course, we're going to be talking about Gaza uh, genocide and gentrification at the top of the hour. Yeah, they are already planning to turn this leveled home of millions. Dead people are still under the rubble. There are renderings of luxury beachfront properties. You cannot make this up. You can't. Can't. But starting with you, CK, wow, this is a stunning development. Or is it stunning? So talk to me. The 14th Amendment, this 1868 provision, oh, so much turns on the Civil War. Uh, talk to me. What, what, was, what was decided by the Colorado Supreme Court yesterday, and will this go to the U.S. Supreme Court? Well, good morning. This is really a, a stunning event um, by the, and a, a stunning turn of events by the Colorado Supreme Court, but not a surprising from my standpoint. And the reason why I say that is it was very, very clear we had congressional committees, we have litigation surrounding the um, insurrection, the failed coup d'etat of January 6th. And we have the connecting of the dots to President Trump. I mean, we have at least one case, if not two, that basically address the failed attempt at toppling the government. This is precisely, remember after the Civil War, the Civil War at its core was, you know, are we going to be free as black people or not? Are we going to be human beings or not? I mean, we all know about this. We don't all know about the Civil War, but the Civil War marked a turn in this country. So this 
This 14th Amendment was enacted precisely to prevent, this is after the Civil War, insurrectionists from, because at that point, if they wanted to go, I guess, you know, a lot of southern states were very, very slow in, in complying with laws after the Civil War, but they ultimately did. So this, war, this, this amendment was enacted to prevent insurrection at its core, to prevent exactly what happened on January 6th from happening, and to also prevent it from the highest, that person who's engaged in it, from being the president of the United States, the highest office in government. So this is precisely what was envisioned by the 14th Amendment. We just haven't seen, there's been, the reason why, Santita, this is, this is stunning, is because we haven't seen this happen. We haven't seen a president of the United States since the Civil War be actively engaged, according to all the evidence that's been presented in these congressional committees and the evidence that we're seeing unfold in cases, in a coup d'etat. So this 14th Amendment prevents it, and now it's happening, and I, and we, I agree, Colorado is not going to be the only state to do this. In fact, other states are going to take from Colorado's page book and try to prevent um, Donald Trump from being on the ballot. They've announced this before, even before the litigation started, even before the, the Congressional Committee concluded and had certain findings even before the Justice Department took the action that it took, there were discussions about trying to prevent Donald Trump from being on the ballot. But now they have the evidence. And so, yeah, it's stunning, but no, it's not shocking. There's nothing shocking. I mean, we have a president that's, that's been indicted, has almost 100 counts of indictment against him. No, this is not shocking, but we are going to see more aggressive measures to try to preclude him from being on the ballot. That's why the spike right now that we're seeing with Mickey Haley, Charlie Crist, and the rest is even more poignant and why Donald Trump is, Trump is taking pot shots at them because he's going to take the position, I don't care if I'm on the ballot. And by the way, this is not at all going to move the needle with his supporters. His South supporters are going to be his South supporters. Um, but it will have an impact, as you said, Santina, if enough states do this, on his ability constitutionally to run as a Republican nominee. I don't know that Donald Trump cares about the Constitution. I don't know that he regards the Constitution. I don't know that a lot of his supporters, his core MAGA supporters do either. But that's where we are. And, yes, this is embarrassing more than anything. You know, when we look at how the U.S. is, we're going to talk about Gaza a little bit later, what the U.S. is doing internationally, this shows that our, our home is not in order and it is a disaster and what is in the balance is world order. So this is very, very serious. Hmm. This is a whole lot. Just the, the political implications are they're stunning. Uh, Dr. David Gibbs, what do you make of this? I mean, just historically, help to frame this for us. Uh, well, this was, um, you know, the result, as, as was noted by C.K. Hoffler, uh, of the 14th Amendment um, in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, uh, this is a clause in the 14th Amendment, uh, you know, that bars insurrectionists from holding high office. They mention, I think, senators. They mention electors. They do not mention the president. Uh, so it's very vague as to whether it applies to the president or not. The fact that it didn't specifically state the president. Um, this is also something that's never been applied in this way. Uh, nobody's ever tried to bar somebody from holding or running for the presidency based on this clause after 150 plus years. 
it would seem to me as a non-lawyer that the legal basis for this is extremely thin. Um, you know, given the fact that it's never even been tried and, uh, before and that, you know, the, the wording is, is vague. Uh, this has to be very thin. To the best of my knowledge, this has been attempted in a number of states. I think New Hampshire, Minnesota, and Michigan have been rejected in those states uh, by the court systems of those states. Um, at a political level, well, judicially, this is going to be almost certainly be overturned by the Supreme Court, given the partisan makeup of the Supreme Court, given the partisan nature of the Supreme Court. I think it's a virtual certainty this will be overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, I think politically, this is an enormous setback for political stability in the United States. This is, uh, in my view, a very unwise move. Um, it's not going to succeed. Uh, it's not going to keep Trump off the ballot. I don't think there's any significant chance of doing that. It's going to make people very, very, very angry. And you could say it violates the, the fundamental principle of the judicial system, especially of our politics. This is an obviously political move. I mean, there are people who don't like Trump, including myself, by the way, who uh, don't want to see him as president, and they're trying to use the judicial system as a means to defeat him. This is a political issue. It needs to be handled at the political level. Trump needs to be defeated, and his ideas need to be defeated at the political level. Using the judicial system to keep him off the ballot is a blatantly undemocratic and an abuse of the judicial system. It weakens public confidence and the whole idea of rule of law. Um, people are very openly, I, look, again, I'm in academia. All of my friends hate Trump, all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, they're openly saying that this is necessary to make sure Trump isn't on the ballot. It's a political decision. I'm sure that was very much in the minds of the justices who made this decision. Um, you know, again, I, I've mentioned this before on the show, but uh, Rachel Maddow openly was wondering if it might be possible with regard to the numerous indictments against Trump if it might be possible to drop the indictments as a plea bargain in exchange for not running for president. Again, she let the cat out of the bag. That's the whole strategy here, is political, using the judicial system as an instrument to achieve a political objective. That's fundamentally illegitimate, in my view, and, and breaks down the whole idea of a judicial system. So I, I think this is very unwise. Um, I've studied political instability in other countries, and, for example, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and former Yugoslavia, and political instability is not a pretty thing. Uh, when people com completely lose confidence in governing authorities, you do not get pretty results. And so I really re regard this kind of thing as a certain degree of, frankly, fear and trepidation. Um, and I, I just wonder if the Democrats can come up with some better means of defeating Trump than using the judicial system as a weapon against him, which is what they're doing here, in my view. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't see this very positively at all. Mm, and I mean, as someone who does not support Trump. That's right. You say that. That's right. Mm. That's right. Wow. Wow. Um, Bryce Green, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'd like to echo some of the concerns made by Dr. Gibbs, even though I'm also not a lawyer and I'm not trained in the legal field. It seems pretty clear that uh, this decision won't stick given the makeup of the Supreme Court. Uh, but this uh, really reaches back to the core of the issue, is that whether or not the courts are going to be active in political ends. Now, I do agree that it's reasonable for courts to get involved in political matters. And I do agree that it's uh, completely acceptable for courts to take a stance on major issues of the day. 
but uh, here they're directly intervening in the electoral process, which has uh, you know, deeper implications for how we're going to run this country going forward. And uh, the biggest thing, uh, as Dr. Gibbs said, is that it causes many people to lose legit uh, to lose faith in the legitimacy of our legal system, of our entire government. Um, and, you know, it's an open question as to whether or not you think that the system is legitimate and that it should be legitimized. Uh, but the fact is that this country has a, a history of, you know, uh, uh, paramilitary violence, electoral violence, and uh, all, all these. Uh, it's a very brutal history of political violence in this country. And there's no reason to suspect that people who lose faith in the system won't react violently uh, when things don't go their way. Uh, and uh, it, it worries me that people are very casual about these courts intervening in the way that they are against uh, Trump. And again, I'm not a supporter of Trump. I don't like the man. I think he's very dangerous. Uh, but it's also a, a question of whether or not he's going to do more danger. Is he going to be more dangerous as president? Is he going to be more dangerous as a symbol of how our institutions are biased against certain political candidates? It's, uh, it's it's pretty difficult to to see the proper way out of this. Uh, you know, we we talk a lot about the polarization in this country, and it seems that a lot of these political forces, from the raid on Mar-a-Lago to Trump's indictments, it seems to be stoking these political uh, this political polarization under the guise of what we call accountability. Uh, but if we were serious about accountability. There are far greater crimes that heads of state and politicians and other members of this or other people in this country have committed that have been completely ignored by the judicial system. Now, it's no deny, you can't deny that Trump did try to overturn the results of the election, which is a serious crime. Uh, but in my view, there's that's there's there's no reason to expect that that's that should be more serious than uh, murdering three million Iraqis or Biden uh, supporting the genocide in Gaza or all the other horrible, unspeakable crimes that presidents commit that have tremendous effects on the lives of real people. Uh, the Trump political circus is, again, important, uh, but there's no no compelling case to me, at least, that that should be more important than the other serious crimes that presidents commit, which leads to the question. Why are they going after Trump? Why are they going after uh, this president and not other presidents? Why are they going after these crimes and not others? And again, that's because the courts are political institutions. Uh, they, if you can, the courts have made a lot of decisions over the decades that are politically beneficial to to me and what I believe. But they've also made a number of decisions that aren't. As beneficial that are actually extremely harmful to the fabric of our democracy, and so there's no, I don't think there's a case to be made for the courts being independent, but they can certainly affect the direction of the country in negative or positive ways. I'm not sure that keeping Trump Trump off the ballot would end up having an overall positive effect, uh, but you know, only time will tell. Hmm. Dwight McKee, your thoughts. I mean, you saw this coming. Yeah, I did. And I, I agree with both uh, Bryce and uh, and Doc, is that I think the Supreme Court is going to have to overturn it because it did, it set such a, um, 
a destructive precedent that, uh, and that's what courts look at is the the uh, effect of their precedents that, um, and it can be dangerous all the way down the line, even for us, because who then has the right to say what an insurrection looks like? Is that anytime you question the outcome of an election or anytime you question the government, does that presuppose you are an insurrectionist? I mean, do you, because you question gerrymandering and you look at the state government, and say that you are gerrymandered and lock white people, I mean, black people out of the vote, they can come back and say, well, if you question us about that, you trying to overturn the the existing government and you need to be off the ballot yourself or you need to be locked up. It, it, the, the implications of it are so severe that it, it takes legitimate challenge in legitimate contest, legitimate protest off of the table. And so for that reason, I think the Supreme Court is going to overturn it. I also think that, as uh, uh, Doc said, it, it, it really does set a tone for violence. Because if there is a, a lot of the America feel like that you've taken their choices away, you've taken their options away, then in their minds, you become the tyrant. In their minds, the government becomes uh, tyrannical, and they feel an obligation to overthrow tyranny. And so it it will stimulate the militias and the the, the random uh, vigilantes and that crowd who is just looking for a reason to go bang, bang on the government and just begin to blow up government institutions and begin to, you know, assassinate people they think that is risen against them. It will take the country, it can't have potential to take the country into chaos. And, and, and given what the country is today, that's not a spark that needs to be put in, in the mind field, in the mind because there's so much volatility out here that it's not going to take that much to create a a, a civil war or pretty much a civil war in the land. I mean, does that sound... Um, I, Dr. Gibbs, does that sound like hyperbole or... Can civil wars just begin like that with a little spark? Well, I, I don't like, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're headed for a civil war. We could be headed for mass disorder. Um, this country has a lot of guns, a lot of guns, mm-hmm. and including automatic weapons. And there are a lot of people who have military backgrounds who are members of militias. And so, yeah, we could start seeing... Again, this is what I'm really afraid of, is, is, is random um, disorder and, yes, violence. Um, we, we, we could see that we, we could be moving in that direction. And this kind of um, activity on the part of the courts, really on the part of the Democratic Party, um, this involves tit for tat. In other words, uh, you strike out against our right, quote-unquote, our rights, 
in this case, our right to vote for the candidate we choose, and they'll strike out against you in response. And, uh, you know, as innocent bystanders, which is most of us, can be caught up in a crossfire in situations like that. And um, this could get very dangerous. Um, now, I don't see, like, another, like, uh, you know, 1861 situation. I, I don't see any scenario for that. But I do see a scenario of a sort of a breakdown of order um, in a way um, that will not produce anything positive at all. Uh, maybe they'll produce a lot of um, people in hospitals. I, I think there's a possibility of that. Um, but, um, and that's what I'm afraid of here. And, you know, yeah, you know, Dwight McGee made the point that people will see this as a tyrannical act. And you could make a case that it's a tyrannical act that, you know, if I want to, I don't, but if I were to want to vote for Donald Trump, to be the candidate of my choice, and you're telling me I'm not allowed to vote for the candidate of my choice. Well, that's a pretty serious thing to do in a democracy. And that's a very big step. And I, I think it's a very unwise one. I think we need to do is to reduce the tensions somewhat um, before they get out of hand. And I don't see this as a step in the right direction. I see this as a step in the wrong direction. One other thing I do have to mention, by the way, in terms of overturning an election, both sides have attempted this. I mean, that was attempted, as we all know, on January 6th. And, yeah, that was a dangerous, very dangerous act. And I certainly don't want to downplay that. But people forget that in 2016, the Democratic Party did try to use the Central Intelligence Agency to block the inauguration of Donald Trump. And this was openly discussed in Politico. Um, there was an effort to get the CIA to give a briefing to the electors, uh, to give them a temporary security clearance and have the CIA present all the supposed evidence they had of all the dastardly things Russia was doing with Donald Trump in secret, I assume. They would give this briefing in secret to sway enough of the electors to throw the election, ultimately, to Hillary Clinton. Um, that didn't happen. I think even for the CIA, that was a bridge too far. Um, but that was proposed, openly proposed. And so, you know, you could say both sides have tried to overturn elections. Both sides have denied the election's uh, validity. I mean, the Republicans famously did that. Trump certainly did that. But Hillary Clinton did that, too. She said that uh, she doesn't regard Trump as a legitimate president because of, you know, what the Russians were doing. Uh, let me say, I think the whole Russiagate scandal was completely bogus and very likely based on leaks from the intelligence services who were openly being political here. But again, you know, it's tit for tat. Both sides can play this game, and both sides are playing this game. And if Trump is elected, and I think that's the probability here, I think the polls are showing Trump is very likely to be the next president, or more likely than not, of course he's going to then start taking revenge on the Democrats, who will have further breakdown of the political system with a further possibility of disorder and destabilization. And so I, I don't think what's going on today in, in Colorado is a step in the right direction. I think it's very much a step in the wrong direction. Mm. Everybody, what do you think? Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, and uh, what about Gaza and genocide and gentrification? What about that? There are renderings of Gaza, the Gaza that we're seeing bombed out right now, it will be a luxury beachfront community for the settlers. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Open up the phone lines, everybody. Come on, come on out. Let's talk. Seven seven three, seven six three, nine two seven eight. Oh, CK. <laughs> it's just a whole lot. Back in just a minute.
This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, uh, sending everyone much love today. My uh, morning stars, I will not be on uh, StreamYard today, we're going to see what we can work out tomorrow, uh, but that having been said... Here we are. Let's talk about Trump being, Trump being kicked off the ballot, and he's looking at the similar situation in other states. It would make it very hard. It would make, let us put it this way, it would make it harder for him to become the nominee of the party. It would make it harder for him to run for president. But it seems that his popularity is so deep and so wide that this may not matter. And the conclusion of this panel is that politically this is we're, in, we're treading in unprecedented, dangerous waters here uh, where people are being told whom they can vote for. So let's talk about this at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. And then I have another story for you. We can just talk about them both. Cashing in on genocide, that is the headline in Common Dreams. There's an Israeli firm that is that is planning to build beautiful luxury beach beachfront homes in Gaza once they clear everybody out. You cannot make this up. Gaza, genocide and gentrification. So I want you to call me at seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight seven seven three seven six three WCPT. Let's get some of these headlines out the way so that we can get on with the rest of the show. Uh, Donald Trump disqualified from Colorado's 2024 primary because he engaged insurrection, as the state Supreme Court of Colorado said. This is headed to the Supreme Court in, of the United States. What's going to happen, everybody? The U.N. is searching for a Gaza resolution that the U.S. will not veto for, U- for America's portion. They have been seeking to weaken the overwhelmingly passed and the overwhelmingly supported calls for and resolutions for ceasefire. That is what the United States has been trying to do. A record-setting East Coast storm left at least five people dead from Florida to Maine. And the FDA found extremely high levels of lead in an applesauce ingredient. Everybody, please check your applesauce, cinnamon-flavored applesauce pouches. And Minnesota has unveiled its new flag. Uh, It will feature indigenous art, and an abstract shape of the state. What do you think of that? Now, the current flag has been deemed offensive. It shows a white settler leaning on a rifle, uh, well, his rifle leaning on a tree stump, and an indigenous man riding away on horseback. Do you think they should get rid of that flag? If you get rid of the flag, you get rid of the history. Why not explain the scene? Maybe that's a discussion for another day, because I think that eliminating all of the signs of our history is dangerous, because you will not know why we are who we are, where we are, and where we could be going. So in Chicago, we're going to have a high of 39 degrees. It will be partly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 40 degrees, partly cloudy. In the NBA, the Lakers will be facing off against the Bulls. Tonight, the Timberwolves will be facing off against the 76ers, and Chicago is triumphant over uh Oh, you know, it's hard for me to read this stuff. Oh, 
over the avalanche and the wild one last night, everybody. So let's get right to it. Legal to enable CK, CK. Joining Dwight McKee, Dr. David Gibbs, and Bryce Green are um, Dr. Julian Malvo. Uh, there's no one else like an attorney, Mark Fancher, CK. What about this Gaza and, and genocide and gentrification? What is up with that? Well, Santita, um, again, very distressing, very disturbing, but not surprising. We know that there is oil in Gaza. We know that it's a very, very rich land. And all things, you know, will go back to money. I mean, money makes the world go round. That is not the reason for the war, but it certainly is a benefit that some people will, will use to their advantage of the war. And the fact that there is a developer that is now openly coming up and saying, well, you know, we're going to do beachfront um, properties and have some nice condos and this and that and that and this is, is very, very disturbing, but it's not surprising. That probably was a discussion that was had or a vision that, that was had a long time ago, a long time ago. It's just that it's now that they're able to, to really put it into action. But it is very, very disturbing. These are very disturbing events, Santita, but it's about the economics. And so, but I'd love to hear from Dr. Julianne Malvo, who is an internationally recognized economist extraordinaire, and, and to see what she has to say about this. Because it really, you know, we are, I don't know that in the U.S. we understand how sick some of the things that are happening really, really are because we're not informed. Dr. Malvo? Well, um, first of all, good to be with y'all, and happy holidays to all. Um, Secondly, thanks for the shout-out, CK. And then let's be clear. The only thing, you can get more money. You cannot get more land. There's a certain amount of land that exists in this world, and you basically can't get more of it. And so Israel has been eyeballing Gaza, the Gaza Strip, for a very long time. Um, when people talk about Hamas saying they want to eliminate Israel, let's be clear, this is not a one-way desire. Israel would like to eliminate Gaza. Now, what Hamas did, you know, we all have to obligatorily say what Hamas did on October 7th was horrible and wrong. But when we put this in context, basically Palestinians have been under attack since Israel took their land. Well, they didn't take it. Of course, the British did whatever they did to basically partition the land and take land away from people. And again, land is something you can't replicate. It's something that's valuable. And so this notion of condos, you know, um, planning ahead to eliminate, basically planning ahead to eliminate two million people by whatever means necessary. Some will be killed by these airstrikes. Some will be pushed out. And it's not just Palestine, it's also the West Bank. So what we're seeing is Israel's greed. Now, I know when you criticize Israel, you're accused of being anti-Semitic. I am not anti-Semitic. I am very critical of Israel. And this plan that um, to build condos, I mean, it's beyond ridiculous. You can't make this stuff up. It's beyond ridiculous. But what it really says is, Our long-term plan is to get rid of Palestinians. That is our long-term plan. And the United States is culpable because Israel and Gaza and Palestine, they 
there, there are parallel tracks, but Israel has the advantage because the United States has enabled them with weapons, uh, with money. Uh, no one has done that for Palestinians. Now, I don't want all-out war. I believe that a two-state solution works, but Israel clearly doesn't. Netanyahu has said time and again, he doesn't want a two-state solution. So what he's really saying is he does not want peace. And CK is right. It's about the Benjamins. If they can get rid of Palestinians, they are able to annex a large swath of land and do whatever they want to do with it. Gentrification, absolutely. But it's even more than gentrification. It's the annihilation of a people. Hmm. CK? You know, Mark, what do you say you? Well, you know, as as in many things that happen in the world, uh, there are multiple parties involved, multiple influences, multiple forces that are at play uh, in a situation like this. Uh, Specifically in Palestine, uh, on the one hand, you do have the government, which is built upon a Zionist foundation, uh, which presumably is trying to maintain an artificially created state, uh, presumably for the benefit and the protection of people of the Jewish faith. That's on the one hand, but within that structure, you also have Zionist fanatics uh, like Netanyahu and others uh, who at this point uh, have lost their grounding. Uh, they are acting beyond reason in the way that they're prosecuting this, this war, this genocidal campaign against the people of Gaza. That's on the one hand. But you also have uh, an additional layer uh, or layers. Within Israel itself, you have large numbers of people who are sincere, uh, who came to Zionism at least from their perspective, honestly, and who are misinformed and uninformed about the implications of Zionism and who are waking up and who are beginning to understand its contradictions and who have strong criticisms, if not outright opposition, to the way in which the government is waging this genocidal campaign. They're beginning to criticize and question. Then you also have uh, supposed allies like the United States Uh, that have no sentimental connection to Israel or to Zionism or anything else, but have always seen this as being beneficial to them uh, from a geopolitical standpoint. It's strategically beneficial to them, uh, and it benefits the empire generally that they maintain. And so their commitment to the Israeli government and all that it's doing uh, is circumstantial. It depends upon whether it continues to be of benefit to them, and as time passes, it becomes of less benefit to them. And I honestly believe that the United States is in the process of distancing itself from Israel, or at least uh, its actions right now, and ultimately will withdraw its support from Israel altogether in favor of looking for new so-called friends in the Arab states. Uh, that will allow them to have a continuing presence there. Finally, you have private interests, which is what we're talking about now. These are corporations, these are business enterprises that are looking for opportunities to exploit. They have no concerns about the morality of anything. Capitalism itself is totally amoral, if not immoral, and it does not look at the circumstances from the perspective of what's in the benefit of humanity, 
what's in the benefit what's to the benefit of the world it is viewed solely from the perspective of how can we enhance and increase our profits what opportunities can we exploit and so there are many capitalists who have been branded as disaster capitalists these are people corporations uh corporate interests that look for disastrous situations that they can go in and that they can exploit. There are many disaster capitalists right now that are thrilled with what's happening in Gaza, with the destruction of Gaza, because what they know is that at some point, those with somebody with power is going to get control of that territory, and there are going to be contracts that are going to have to be signed to rebuild all of the destruction. And these will be contracts that are in the trillions of dollars in value, and they want it. And so they're thrilled to see the destruction of Gaza so that they can come in and get it. And you also have uh, disaster capitalists of the kind that we're talking about, speculators and developers who see even further beyond the reconstruction of Gaza and see the, the opportunities for making profits there, uh, whether it's through development of real estate or other corporate or commercial interests in that region. So there are many, many different things going on, many different people who are involved, many different corporations, government entities and interests, all working at the same time and creating or contributing to what appears to the casual observers as great confusion. But there are people who are looking at this situation with a laser focus. They all have their very specific agendas, and they're all pursuing them at the same time. And uh, we have to be confident that ultimately it will be the people who will prevail in all of this, because I do think that ultimately that's what's going to happen. I believe you're going to have a confluence of the struggles and the resistance of the Palestinians married with the internal resistance from people, the residents of Israel, uh, people of the Jewish faith around the world who are turning on Zionism, uh, and then just generally the world uniting against the Zionist project and bringing it down. The unanswered question is, will the people who are opposing the Zionist government and Zionism as a philosophy be analytical enough and clear enough in their thinking to appreciate and understand the other forces that are at work that I mentioned, whether they will also recognize the objectives and the aims of imperialism, the empire, and what its designs are for that region. Will it recognize who the disaster capitalists are and what they're trying to do to exploit? And so for that reason, it is important, it's imperative for everybody who wants a just result in Palestine to continue to educate themselves about exactly who's there, why they're there, and what their objectives are. Well, you know, um, Santina, thank, for, thank you, Mark, for, for your thoughts on that. I think Mark has said a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I think if, if we look at Gaza... Everybody is forecasting the complete and total destruction of Gaza from political pundits, from right wing, left wing. Everyone is predicting that. And to the extent that that is going to happen, the question that I have actually for the panel is, what is the United States? What is going to be the what are the ramifications going to be for the United States? Because we, even though we are shifting our policy, and Mark, you said at some point you believe that we will totally um, drop our support to Israel. I, I don't believe that. 
but we are shifting our policy. But what right now in the short term are going to be the ramifications for the United States and for President Biden? I'd love to call on Dwight McKee and see what his perspective is on that. Hmm. Good morning, uh, CK. Um, You know, I said from day one, and it sounded a little crazy when I first said it, is that they were making room for the Jews from the Ukraine after Russia wins that war, runs those the, the Jewish citizens out of Ukraine. They need to make room for them, and that they were going to take Gaza and make it a uh, part of the, the the Israeli state. And they're not, they're not looking for a two-state solution. They're looking for one state, um, one state government, one state religion, uh, a one state people. And anybody who is not, you know, going to go to church on Saturday is going to be up for discussion up for, for exile. So I think a couple of things. One is that the United States is, um, I think Biden is going to go be taken down by Netanyahu, that he's sublet his authority to Netanyahu and will ultimately end up paying a major price for that, mostly his presidency, and maybe over time his freedom if Trump gets in the office because of this. I think he has a real heavy price to pay for that, for this. I think that Netanyahu, war criminal that he is, is doing this trying to, you know, maintain power and stay out of jail. But I think that I'm, I'm with Mark on this. I think there's going to be a whole a backlash with the whole world against Israel. And I think it's going to be very unfortunate for Israel because I think that uh, the Middle Eastern states are at some point going to get involved to stop the genocide and begin to attack Israel. And I think that that's going to become a regional war. And I think Russia and Iran and uh, Sudan, I think those states are then going to use that as a pretext to go after Israel themselves. I think that the Jews are not the only ones that see value in Gaza. I think the Russians can see the oil in Gaza. I think that 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 the Saudis and the Iranians see the, the the value of Gaza. And so, whereas the Jews, because they got the United States on their side right now, has the military have the military uh, edge. I think that I'm, I'm with Mark on this. I think the United States is going to abandon uh, Israel when the going gets tough, like they do everybody, like they did Iran, like they did Afghanistan, like they did uh, uh, Vietnam. The United States threw rocks and didn't hide their hand, and and they have no problems selling somebody out, getting them strung out and then selling them out. So I think when the United States step away from Israel, it's going to open the door for all of those other countries, including Russia, to uh, uh, declare war on Israel and to, and do to Israel what Israel has done to Gaza. You know, CK, I think it's highly unlikely that the United States is going to move away from Israel. 
I agree with uh, both brothers who spoke earlier about many of the ramifications. But the fact is that the Jewish community is strong. Um, not only that, not only, and the emotional, what could I, I, I don't know the word to use right yet, but the emotional indelible impact of the Holocaust puts the world in a guilt trip. And, and putting the world in a guilt trip means you cannot walk away from Israel. Now, the not Dwight, but the previous caller, and I forgot, my brain is all over the place this morning, but made a point about Israel and Jewishness are not the same as Zionism. So you can walk away from Israel, I mean, you cannot walk away from Israel, but you can walk away from Zionism. You can walk away from Netanyahu. I think Biden has a hot couple of months to get his act together because his presidency is on the line. Young people are not buying this, but the world is not buying this. When you see the airstrikes, first you tell the people to go south, so they go south. Then you start striking the south. You strike refugee camps. You strike apartment buildings. You have this excuse that Hamas is hiding here, there, everywhere, underneath tunnels. They are, to some extent. But I don't think that Hamas is as strong as Israel would have us believe it. I'll tell you what, let some fool put some condos in Gaza. Trust and believe that's not going to turn out right. It's not going to turn out right. But I don't think that the United States will abandon Israel because we have too much at stake in terms of our population, uh, our, our Jewish constituents, and their allies. And you see what's happening on university campuses these days, which is frightening. A young sister, um, she said she's still in Palestine. They took her away her elected position as head of the Black Law, of the, not Black Law, of the Law Students Association. They, um, she lost a job opportunity, and she's had death threats. And so um, what we're looking at, on one hand, is, you know, we're not going to abandon Israel, but we need to make room for people who will not abandon Palestine. I just wanted to clarify, Zionism is Israel. Without Zionism, there is no Israel. It was created in 1948 by Zionism, by imperialists, for the benefit of imperialism. It is a purely political proposition. Uh, people of the Jewish faith uh, and Judaism as a whole has nothing to do with Zionism, really, except for the fact that Zionists have strategically and opportunistically attached themselves to it. And when it comes to imperialism and capitalism, there is no sentimentality whatsoever. And so they, could, they couldn't care less about the sentiments of pe the Jewish people in this country. The only reason that they cater to them, to their whims, is because they strategically, they see a strategic advantage to holding on to Israel right now. But once that advantage goes, and it becomes a drag on their profits, and, it, and it's no longer beneficial to them, they will drop them without any sentimentality, without any problems whatsoever. And if we don't believe it, we just need to look at history and see how they've dropped their so-called friends uh, consistently uh, over the course of the existence of the U.S. Forgive me for misinterpreting you. I... I I think that, I mean, you can be anti-Israel without being anti-Semitic. You can be... Um, oh, absolutely. I, I, I see Zionism, and I, so I'm a little confused, and I'll have to go back Hold and on. see. But I see Hold Zionism... On one moment. 
everybody, hold on. Let me get out to this break, and we can just continue talking during the break. And she K, have a great day in court. Knock it out. Be the great oh, advocate that you are. Thank court you. Will we be on very quickly? I will be on have court TV rest, tomorrow from 6 to 7. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for your comments. Oh, and, Santita, we have to continue this discussion. Absolutely. Back in just a minute, Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, just five days away from the mass of Christ, from Christmas. What will you put under your Christmas tree? I hope that you'll consider putting Rainbow Push and the Push Excel program. All the wonderful work that we do, we will be in the jail at Cook County Jail, as Reverend Jackson has been at Cook County Jail for going on almost 60 years. I'm remembering those that people have forgotten. Uh, we will be celebrating Christmas with them. We need your support. Please call 773-FREEDOM or go to rainbowpush.org and be a part of the movement. Help us as we seek to help you and the rest of humanity. Indeed, people united to serve humanity. That is really what it is. So we've got Dr. Julianne Malveau, the President Emeritus of Bennett College for Women, former Dean of Ethnic Studies, Cal State LA, brilliant MIT PhD economist, Dr. David Gibbs, historian, University of Arizona, uh, brilliant, all, all the people on this panel, attorney Mark Fancher, civil libertarian, civil rights lawyer. If you want to get an essay that is surgically precise, the reading, I mean, he is just a brilliant, brilliant writer and author. And of course, Dwight McKee, brilliant, brilliant thinker. He's really kind of the heartbeat, one of the heartbeats of the show. This really is group that you're listening to really is. They are the heartbeat, and I'm so grateful to all of you. And Bryce Green, uh, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant young man. I know that the world is in good hands with you around. Let me start with you, uh, Dr. Gibbs, Gaza genocide and um, gentrification. What do, I, mean, I mean, the optics on this are so offensive. You know, to the left, you see a leveled out, or should I say, a a west, excuse me, a uh, a a Gaza Strip that is being destroyed, and on the right, atop that, you see these beautiful, luxurious lakefront, beachfront, beachfront homes. What do you make of that? Well, it's um, the overall picture is, is somewhat similar to that of South Africa before 1994. Uh, the apartheid South Africa, that is very much the mindset of Israeli policy. That's the policy of Israel, basically, is a greater Israel, encompassing effectively the West Bank and really the Gaza Strip as well, uh, indirectly before. And now it looks like they're going to have direct control over Gaza. At least that seems to be where they're headed. And, um, you know, one plan, clearly, that's been openly discussed in Israel is simply pushing the population out of Gaza and uh, bringing in a new population, uh, with lots of free land. Um, 
Now, whether they'll do that or not is another matter, but whether they'll get away with it is another matter. But that certainly is something that's being discussed quite openly in Israel right now. And um, again, I think the issue for us in the United States, and again, this is an American audience, this is an American panel, um, is what should America's policy be on this? And America's policy is to back it to the hilt, to back every detail of what Israel is doing, despite very minor verbal criticisms. Uh, the U.S. is completely backing this uh, with enormous resources, um, not just financial resources, but of course, the United States is in, as naval flotillas, both in the Red Sea as well as the Mediterranean, essentially in support of Israel. Um, and, uh, you know, we, the world is paying the price for this U.S. support. The U.S. is enabling this to happen. Netanyahu lived a significant part of his early life in the United States. If you hear him talk, he doesn't just speak English, he speaks it with a perfect American accent. He knows this country very well, and I think he sees it as a country that can be manipulated and is being manipulated. He's manipulating Biden. Um, and um, I think that this is really something that really should be a political issue, that we should address this at a political level. And we should put a stop to it, frankly. We should put a stop to it. The U.S. needs to stop supporting. I mean, it's not a question should the U.S criticize Israel, but they should stop supporting what Israel is doing. We need to withdraw that support, and we need to withdraw it immediately. Um, so that's my take on it. But in any case, I need to go right now, so everybody have a nice day, and thank you very much for having me, Santita. Oh, hey, God bless you. Uh, Bryce Green, the optics on this are just absolutely stunning. What do you make of this? Well, these are the same optics that we've been seeing for almost the entirety of the Israeli occupation. The whole plan, I mean, we're talking about the current plans to push the current population of Gaza into, you know, the desert, into the Sinai Desert. Uh, but that's long been part of Israel's modus operandi, not for just Gaza, but also the West Bank for the Golan Heights. And it was for the Sinai when they occupied it. Uh, the plan uh, has been being carried out for uh, quite some time. If you look at the West Bank, that's a, a sort of a model for what these high uh, these high level developments are going to look like. If you look at the West Bank, what they do is they take a Palestinian village, they kick all the people out, and then around that village they build a settlement, and that settlement has uh, you know sophisticated energy grids, uh, water treatment plants. Uh, you know it's a closed system. And it's built right alongside some of these ramshackle villages, these these shacks, really, these uh, these tent cities uh, that they push these Palestinians into. And so they build up these high high tech, well developed settlements right next door. And that seems to be the plan that they want to do for Gaza. Uh, and you know, like was said earlier, uh, there is a capitalist incentive structure to all of this. It, it's good money to see this land depopulated of people and to develop it. I mean, this is what, exactly what the Americans did in the in the West as they moved forward from the East Coast. Uh, they kicked out the native population, invested millions of dollars in uh, uh, you know well-developed settlements, and then just called those settlements their new country. Uh, in Gaza, the Netanyahu administration has explicitly developed plans uh, to kick out the population. In fact, they said that this will be beneficial to everybody because this means they'll have to kill fewer of them. And uh, Netanyahu has said that he wants to explore options to, quote, 
thin out the population in Gaza. I mean, the genocidal rhetoric is pretty clear to anyone who bothers to pay attention. And the, the question of what they want to do has been asked and answered by what they're already doing in the West Bank. And so the, the question of American support, I mean, it's of the utmost importance that we as Americans use our position to stop our government from supporting this to the best extent that we can. Uh, Israel is only able to operate and has only been able to operate because of its enormous political, military, and economic support from the United States. If Israel had to behave like a normal country that wasn't supported by the, the, the global rogue state, the United States, if Israel had to behave like a normal country, they would have made a peace deal long ago. Uh, in fact, Israel has rejected many peace deals, uh, both in 48, uh, both after the 67 war. Uh, they've rejected deals with uh, Hamas to form a two-state solution, even though Hamas has been uh, really the more moderate party of the two uh, between Israel and Hamas. Uh, Israel hasn't had to moderate itself because they've had the support of the United States. So for any activist, no matter what you believe about whether or not there should be a two-state solution or a one-state solution, whether or not you believe uh, in the precise division of the land, whether or not you believe in any of that, you must believe that the first step to getting there is to remove the U.S. support. Get rid of the U.S. blank check, and then something can happen. Otherwise, Israel keeps... Uh, is is still allowed to behave like a lunatic country. But how do we get rid of the U.S. support? I mean, I think the U.S. support is embedded in the uh, guilt trip uh, that Israel places on us regarding the Holocaust. We refuse to accept Jewish people when they were being exterminated in Germany. Mm -hmm. We still carry the guilt for that. We don't carry guilt for enslavement, but that's another story. But we still carry the guilt for that. So how do you uncouple our guilt with our support, our unblanket, unreasonable support of Israel? Well, you know what, if I can say this, let me say this as you all answer. Remember, we share military secrets profound military secrets, the greatest traitor to the country, Jonathan Pollard, is living in Israel right now. There, there, is, there is a, there is a, it's subterranean. There are a lot of moving parts here that most of us, including myself, don't know about. I'm sorry, Dwight and then you, Bryce? Yeah, i tell you how it's going to happen. Is that right now we have, we've not paid a price of American blood. Once two or three of those missiles hit one of those ships over there, and that ship starts sinking, and those Americans get start dying there, and, and we see there's a price to pay. Again, it's going to be just like Afghanistan. We're going to lick our wounds and say, brother, you all can have this. The price is too high for us, and unless you all not, uh, are not, uh, unless you all are committed to compromise, we can't go any further because the pressure on America is going to be so heavy. Take those troops out and to save hmm. those soldiers' lives that we're going to bail. So we, I mean, it's been carte blanche now because there's been no real American lives to pay other than the hostages. But you let one of them ships blow up like it blew up in the, in the last harbor and let, let two or three hundred of those soldiers start dying. And you see how the tone changes on this conversation. Right? But you I don't want to think Israel, Dwight, I don't think that, that Israel is crazy enough to do something 
to hurt the United States, its greatest ally and its greatest benefactor. I just don't see that happening. No, no, I think they, you have a point. No, they do that all the time. Wait a minute. No, no. Wait a minute. That, that, that happens all the no. time. Look, Jonathan Pollard, the person who sold the most, the most, uh, I mean, our, our military secrets, the most of them and the, the most precious, they let him go back to Israel, not go back to go there to live. That, that was the end of the punishment. They, I mean, this is, I mean, this is hubris. It's excessive pride and arrogance, and that's what it is. No, and these bombs, these are the bombs that the Muslims are dropping. This is, these are the bombs that are coming out of Iran mm. and out of the Sudan. That's what's going to hit those American chips, are those missiles. I think that if we want to understand how we get rid of America's support for Israel, we have to understand the pillars that undergird the current support. Uh, and it is, like you say, there is an imperial incentive to be an ally with Israel just because Israel represents a uh, sort of an outpost of Western imperialism in the Middle East. Uh, you've heard it described by many a politician uh, that it's uh, our unsinkable aircraft carrier, which is only partially true given that we don't fly missions out of there. Uh, but uh, the, the point remains that it's a, a military outpost uh, in the Middle East where we want to control. Um, and there's also a significant Israel lobby in the country. Uh, because of historical reasons and the position of, uh, you know, the Zionist ideology within elite circles, uh, there has been a robust uh, network of institutions, organizations, and individuals who are dedicated uh, above a lot of other goals uh, to the, the protection of Israel's image in the United States and the perpetuation of pro-Israel policy within the United States. It's to the point where even some states require you to swear loyalty oath to the state of Israel if you're going to be a state employee. And we've seen that. We've seen these cases. We've seen states pass anti-BDS laws that say the state won't do business with companies who are boycotting Israel. Uh, that's, that's an insane level of foreign control. Uh, it wouldn't be acceptable if it was any other country. Uh, but the question is, how do we tackle that system? Well, the first step is understanding it. You know, there's a great book by uh, John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt uh, called The Israel Lobby. It's uh, it's a bit a bit dated. It's over a decade old, uh, but it still maps out these institutions and organizations that that, that promote the Israeli Zionist ideology. Uh, you know, and the, a lot of those same institutions uh, have a lot of sway today. So understanding those institutions is the first step. Next, we need to build counter institutions. We need to understand how these institutions work. Uh, you know, right now in Congress, if you speak out against Israel, if you criticize Israel, well, there is a network of organizations that can funnel money into your opponent. And so there's a huge incentive structure to not uh, to not speak out against Israel. Uh, they, I mean, look at John Fetterman. I mean, they, they just said it straight up. It seems that it's easier to support Israel because it's cheaper. We don't have to fight against it. So mobilizing support for people who support Palestine would be an excellent first step. Uh, there are organizations today like Justice Democrats and others who aim to sort of plug the gap in candidates when APAC funding dries up or when it flows into their opponents. Then they can uh, use some of this other money uh, to act as a counterbalance. And that's just a start. Uh, I, I'm on a college campus right now, and I'm part of uh, Palestine solidarity groups, and you know we're organizing and we're uh, putting on events, we're mobilizing, educating people, uh, and that work needs to continue. Needs to be supported. Like we we accept donations, we do, uh, we 
uh, try and interface with the community because they're a beachhead for this very struggle. It won't happen overnight, certainly. But every crisis is also an opportunity to build your organizing capacity to prevent further crises in the future. And that's what we need to do. Join your local Except for the fact that at some level, I hear what you're saying, I appreciate it, but how many more Palestinians will have to die before we have a corpus of dollars to counter APAC, who got rid successfully of Cynthia McKinney um, and is now mobilizing around uh, Jamal, I think it's Bookman, and uh, uh, the sister from uh, Michigan. Uh, Jared Paul. So, you know, how long, how many, how many Palestinians will have to die before we're able to counter? Yeah, here's, uh, well, here's, here's, here's quite what a few. I think we it have seems, to understand. It seems cool. uh, sorry, uh, sorry, you can continue. Yeah, I think we have to understand. Yeah, we have to understand the reason why the Zionist lobby is so persistent, so strong, and 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 so consistent, and that's because they understand that their position is so tenuous that they know that it any time it can be wiped away. That the United States uh, allegiance to Israel is based only on business interests strategic interest. The only reason that the United States is so committed to Israel, it has nothing to do with sentiment. It has to do with the fact that historically, that region of the world uh, has so much oil, and it is populated by people who are not necessarily friendly uh, to Western imperialism and to Western imperialists who are looking to try and exploit that oil and to get it. Uh, in addition, in, 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 during the Cold War, it was also strategically important to be there. It, Israel was critical to the U.S. imperial program, and so that's why it has been so locked into it. And the Zionists understand that if at any time uh, that changes, if at any time the empire begins to see this as no longer being strategically important to them or profitable to them, that they will abandon them in a heartbeat. And so that's why they are on the case. They make it their business to make sure that everybody is absolutely locked into this program and they are persistent in it. What's going to make the difference in that region is when the empire begins to see that it is no longer profitable to support Zionism. And what will make it reach that conclusion is when the instability there uh, when the challenges are so great there that they can't do business there, when they see that that's happening, then they will withdraw. If the world continues to mobilize against Zionism, if the Palestinian resistance continues to intensify, if the Arab countries in, in, this, in the neighboring Arab countries begin to attack and create mayhem and destruction, then they won't be able to pursue their programs. They won't be able to go in and to exploit that new Gaza oil. They won't be able to develop uh, real estate. They won't be able to build and gentrify Gaza. They won't be able to do any of that stuff because there's so much instability, so much warfare, so much conflict. And if the United States does the calculation and sees that the only way that we can make things peaceful enough for us to do business there is for us to abandon the Zionist government, then that's what they're going to do. Because it always is always just about profits. That's all that it's about. They really don't have any sentimental attachment uh, to Israel or to, to, to Judaism or any of that. It's solely about how to perpetuate the empire 
and to and to make profits for the big corporation. Yeah, Mark, watch what happens to the Ukraine next 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 month, next year. See what happens to that that crowd when they sell them out right down the river. The whole country's got bombed out, put everything on the line, and in, in six months you won't even know that America has invested all that money in the Ukraine because they will be saying "Assalamu alaikum" because it is not working for them anymore. Hmm. Well, I mean, what about the money? There's still uh, the uh, Chevron is off the coast of of the Gaza Strip, Dr. Malvo, they're still trading gas and oil. I mean, while the Palestinians are being genocided, that's still happening. That's called predatory capitalism. Uh, that's the system that we live under. It's not just capitalism. It's predatory capitalism. It's capitalism on steroids. It means you have no moral center, no moral code. If you look back and go back over the years and look at the share of um, money, uh, that people get in recessions and recoveries. In the past, all classes gained in recovery. Now, in the last recession we had, the top 10% got 115% of what they lost. So they gained more than they lost. People at the bottom continue to lose. That's why Biden is experiencing such antipathy. That's why people are like, hmm, the macro numbers look great. Growth is good. Unemployment is low. Inflation is dropping. But that does not help Susie Q, who went to the store and found the eggs almost twice what they were, you know, a year ago. So basically, predatory capitalism is driving Shell and the other oil companies continuing to trade, continuing to be involved, and adding a capitalist motive to what else is going on. So, I mean, so just... We only have a few minutes left. I mean, where where do we go from here? I mean, Mark, where do we go from here, particularly as we look at this in the Christmas season? Oh, the, the, we, we go where the world is going right now, and, and that is to continue to educate people about the nature of Zionism and its destructive impact and the fact that it really has to be eliminated. And I think that there is a growing consensus about that. And I, I think that the Palestinians have been resisting consistently. I'm sure that they will continue to do that. But I think that the tipping point is going to come when people of goodwill, uh, sincere and honest people of the Jewish faith uh, around the world, and sincere and honest people within Israel itself, begin to recognize the bankruptcy of this idea uh, of, of maintaining a state uh, that extends uh, special favors and courtesies to people who uh, are presumably are of a particular ethnic group or a particular re religious persuasion, and the persecution, oppression, and genocide of, every, of other people who are indigenous to that region. When they come to terms with the, those contradictions, I think they will begin to fight from within. And I think that the system is going to collapse from within. So where we go is we continue to, uh, you know, mobilize public sentiment against this uh, and to make it clear to all concerned that the resistance to this is not going to stop until the Zionist state is, is completely dissolved. And what, it, what replaces it is a single democratic state. It's really not unlike South Africa. South Africa had rigid apartheid for, for generations 
and it, it finally came it finally came down to the necessity of of establishing a single state for all ethnic groups for all races for all religions uh, that's democratic that's what Palestine needs uh, and and I think that the idea of, of a state that's based on favoritism and oppression and exclusion and oppression is a is a, a dead idea and I think people will come to realize that. I think more and more people are coming to realize that it's dead on arrival. Well, it's it's been traveling here a long time. But, you know, my grandmother, uh, Gertrude, put it this way, Mark, and Dr. Malvo, you knew her, Gertrude, and uh, Dwight knew her quite well, and Bryce Green. She said, you know, there's one way, the right, the right way. And either things are going to be done the right way or they are going to fail. And this is not a statement about the Jewish people, because all Jewish people don't feel this way. In fact, we want to protect them because they're receiving so much fallout over this, and it's not fair. It's not fair. So, you know, everybody, let's come together and establish love and justice, particularly in this season. Jesus is the reason for this season. It's not a secular holiday. It is a religious holiday. A child was given to us to show us a new way. Come on, everybody, listen up to it. Can't wait to be with you tomorrow on the Santina Jackson Show. Sending you much love.